Hello and welcome to this uh, stagflation or deflation and what part of the market cycle are we in discussion sponsored by PSG Wealth. Now, in the past two years, the world has witnessed the fastest bear market and quickest subsequent recovery. Now, increased levels of inflation and slow global economic growth have led to deliberations between experts about what part of the market cycle will come next, stagflation or deflation. In this uh, discussion that's powered by PSG Wealth, the CIO or Chief Investment Officer Adrian Pask explains what data and research is saying about which part of the market cycle we are heading into. My name is Budiwa Gavaza, business and tech writer over at the Business Day and Financial Mail, and I'll be your host for this very fascinating discussion. Adrian, greetings to you today. Hi, Budiwa. It's good to be here. Always good to talk to you and get into some of these uh, market insights. And this particular discussion is quite relevant. So what aspects of inflation and interest rates are you not seeing, you know, in the current debate? Yeah, I think if we look at media reports at the moment and most research reports that's being circulated, largely focuses on high inflation and the risks of high inflation, which normally speaks to high interest rates. And then following from there, tightening monetary conditions and recession fears, or at the very least, slower growth. That's the existing debate in its various guises and in various publications. But I think there's there's two missing components for me in the debate. So that's what I would like to, to put on the table. I think the one is the investor experience at the moment, in particular where investors are benchmarking portfolios against some type of inflation benchmark. So how do they how do they deal with that as they evaluate their investments and the second thing is the the risk of deflation which is not currently on the radar at all i think if i mention deflation amongst a group of economists they'll probably chase me out the room but i do think it's a risk that's definitely escalating at the moment um but like i said the current debate is more focused on on stagflation so the simultaneous lower growth environment so the stag component and then inflation signaling that you've got higher inflation there. And that's really what most people are expecting to continue indefinitely. All right. So, you know, when we're talking about that second risk, inflation, I think, is well understood as the increase, you know, in your price levels and then deflation becoming the opposite of that. And, you know, a lot of people tend not to like this, especially when you refer to countries like Japan and uh, the impact of you know, such a phenomenon on some of those economies. Despite being as big as it is, you know, people will be shaking their heads and saying, oh, definitely not a good thing and usually not a sign of growth, unfortunately, because you do have that uh, weird aspect about inflation to say that it's bad. But on the other hand, people do say at least it's showing that there is that positive activity that is going on in the economy. But outside of that, then, when we speak specifically about stagflation, how do you view stagflation at PSG Wealth and what is the actual possible impact of it? The stagflationary environment is normally characterized by low growth and, and higher inflation, at least higher than trend. Uh, what we're seeing at the moment is quite an extreme case of that. So very low growth and very high inflation. I mean, it's very interesting to note uh, some of the sales side reports coming out predicting what inflation is going to be in, in the UK over the next 12 months. And last week, the first report came out at 17% prediction from Credit Suisse. And then this week, we saw other reports come through from City and others signaling above 20%. 
And we're slowly but surely getting used to these numbers, but they are frightening to, to, to think that aggregate price levels in the UK could be increasing by those levels. I think what we, what we could expect uh, going forward is for stagflation to continue, but, but definitely not at the prevailing levels. So what I'm saying is growth that is low, but not as low as currently, and inflation that is high, prices that are generally higher, but not as high as they are currently. I mean, prices can't continue to grow at 10 to 20% across the globe indefinitely. But there has definitely been a lack of investment in energy type resources. And then you've got the Russia-Ukraine tensions, which is adding additional pressure to, to supply. So unless those two things can resolve themselves in a very material way, you can see two very strong tailwinds for higher prices. And although energy in itself is a very low component in the CPI basket or in the inflation basket as it's measured, as its percentage contribution, it does have a very material secondary impact through everything else. So food, for example, is a much bigger weighting in the inflation index. And underlying to food price inflation does sit energy prices as well because that food needs to go through logistics and be transported, etc. So it does filter through in a secondary element of the inflation numbers. And that's the thing that, that concerns us. But I think there's a middle step that's being overlooked. And that's why I, I, I said I, I want to put the deflation risk issue on the table because inevitably what happens is if inflation starts to escalate too quickly, you, you reach a level which is, it's overrunning trend, which would be long past that. And then it starts to really peak at very high levels. So a good counter example is that is if you cast your mind back to what we saw in the COVID environment with GDP numbers, initially we saw this massive slump down. And then shortly after that, we reported great economic growth numbers, GDP numbers, but there wasn't really much economic growth. It was purely just a recovery to the previous level. So that's a good example of base effects from a low level to a higher level. And the percentage change is big, but in reality, the economy hasn't really contributed or grown much in terms of absolute GDP numbers. And I think CPI is going to do exactly the same. As an index, it's run very hard. And it's probably peaking and it might stay constant or even move slightly lower than what it is currently. Prices remain quite elevated in historic terms, but they will recede. And I don't think that brief receding period or deflationary period is being discussed at, at all at the moment. And I think it introduces a risk of confusing monetary policy makers uh, to the extent that we could see policy error in, in terms of they either increasing or decreasing rates prematurely or incorrectly in total, so moving in the wrong direction. So they are material. If I'm understanding you correctly, Adrian, the situation you're describing is uh, simply to say that in a situation where, like what we saw during COVID-19, where things go up and up and up, at some point it is possible, you know, as we're seeing with inflation right now, things go up and up and up. It is possible that at some point, you know, when we do reach that peak, uh, that we fall off the cliff, so to say. If you're looking at the graphs, you probably see a drop off on that chart. It's inevitable. And as you said, uh, leading to some of those possible errors uh, when it comes to planning on a policy point of view. But 
in outside of you know i guess the policy considerations and the fact that some of these drop offs are sounds inevitable on a practical and particularly i think for investors does that have an impact do you guys have a view on that in terms of our possible impact on the markets of that deflationary impact yeah i think it, it's going to be really important to distinguish between what is a, a sustained period of deflation versus temporary it also you know that touches a little bit on what we've seen with the yield curve as well very similar to that situation where we typically that signals a, a recession is coming so when it dips into negative territory the market gets all jittery that is what happened but the market didn't really overreact it just incorporated that into the pricing and then moved on from there and the yield curve moved out of that period since then it's it's moved back into into negative territory but it's going to be something similar it feels to me so we might go into that period where it it's deflation but it's short lived but the problem is in what type of position does that place people from an investment perspective and the policy makers etc because if the view at the time is that oh shucks we've overreacted we've increased interest rates too much and we need to 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 backtrack capitulate lower interest rates get the economy going again etc and that has material consequences for for markets obviously we if the old narrative of don't worry it's transitory and in other words it's deflation but it's not going to last and we've seen elements of transitory conversation before and and, and that didn't really work out too well so how the policy makers interpret that part of environment is going to be really really critical so i think what we need to look out for is any evidence of deflationary awareness in the fed statements that they bring out and whether they anticipate that and whether they think it's going to be sustained or temporary and that will sort of also condition the rest of the market for where things might go if they are not prepared for it which i doubt and there's no communication to prepare markets for this i think it could have a negative impact over the short term but in that might be opportunity again because if it's brief and we go back to a stagflation environment you might find yourself with opportunity to buy into into lower levels so it's it's important to think about these things ahead so that you can anticipate where opportunities might arise might be a case that that environment doesn't come uh, but we think that the likelihood is much greater than what the rest of the market is currently giving it credit for. Yeah, no, most certainly true. And given you know all of the impacts that you're talking about, when it comes to the market specifically, just getting into how particular you know uh, pieces of the market are actually using the information, as you said, to actually make investment decisions. The question then becomes, why is it then a challenge uh, for the unit trust industry, for example, to use that inflation aspect as a benchmark? Yeah, I think the industry sits with, I mean, this is not new, but it is a lot more accentuated problem at the moment, given the high levels of inflation. So if you think of, I mean, many of the, the investors in our market use unit trust funds. And many of the, the older, more conservative clients typically use wealth preservation type mandates. So the things labeled as low equity, stable, cautious, etc. And they typically have around a third invested in, in equities and often have inflation linked benchmarks. So, so they would typically say we try to preserve capital after inflation plus 3%. But what we're seeing at the moment is if you are aiming for inflation plus 3%, that really means that you are looking at a, a planned return of around say north of 10% in the current environment with inflation where it is. 
But we're moving into an environment where interest rates are going up, and that's generally not good for markets. And that's what we've seen happen this year. So you sit with a negative relationship or negative correlation between inflation and investment returns. So if you to plot this out on a graph, for example, you, you end up with something that looks a bit like a DNA strand. That the, 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 there's significant gaps between where inflation is and where your investment returns are. But the good news is that's normally followed by periods where the investment returns are much higher than the inflation numbers. So historically, it hasn't been a massive issue. You do find that there are substantial gaps and uh, potentially clients don't understand why they're underperforming inflation. But eventually, you perform through the cycle. The problem is many of these mandates have shorter investment horizons of three or four years, where the current inflation slash interest rate cycle is said to be longer than that. So we might end up in the situation where very few funds, and it's actually already what we see at the moment, very, very few funds are reaching their targets of inflation plus 3% in that sector. So, I mean, our calculations say it's less than 5% of the funds have actually managed to do that. And that's not necessarily because of poor performance. It's just because inflation is running so hot at the moment. So I think the cautionary note to investors is, especially um, some of the more mature clients that we that we have or investors out there, is where you are using these funds and you do notice that they're underperforming relative to inflation-type benchmarks. Um, just consider where the inflation numbers are at the moment. And we would say if you then want to, to assess performance more accurately, maybe assess against a, a peer group, for example, as a more reasonable measure um, during this time. So with what you're saying then, Adrian, just given the fact that there are these benchmarks in place, there are these mandates in place where the unit trust industry and other types of uh, market players sort of have to take into account inflation. And obviously, what you're highlighting is the fact that because of the big run, it might skew some of the decisions that are being made based off of those benchmarks. What other benchmarks can we, you know, can we... I guess, add or use? And, you know, why would you justify, you know, those specific things? Yeah, I think that's spot on in terms of what the risk really is. So we know that if funds underperform in investors, not rightly so in, in our minds, we tend to be a bit more patient with doubts of uh, underperformance. But most investors tend to not be very tolerant of even very brief spells of underperformance. And if the, the risk is really that if investors start to assess their performance in relation to inflation, they're more than likely going to be disappointed during this period. And again, they rather use something else, which comes to the second point of your question. I mean, in our environment, the way that our philosophy is stitched together, we try to find superior skilled managers out there and build a portfolio of managers. So we really assess ourselves on our ability to find managers that can beat the peer group, for example. There might be other alternatives that's more appropriate for another specific philosophy, but I think a peer group comparison in this environment works quite quite well. And unfortunately, inflation-type benchmarks are, are quite dreadful in, in a period like this. So like I said, just a cautionary note on, on that one. And in our previous conversations, you know, we uh, have mentioned the fact that there's like a universe of factors that uh, investors need to be thinking about when making their decisions, specifically on the market cycle. Why should investors consider the market cycle they are in before they invest? In our specific scenario, we we leave a lot of that responsibility with the underlying managers, investment partners that we use in our portfolios to 
to navigate markets. I mean, these are individuals that are trained, they've exhibited skill in that area over sustained periods of time, and they commit their, their daily lives to, to navigating that environment or markets on a daily basis. I think the best thing that the investors themselves can do at this point in time is ensure that you are aware of what your long-term goals are and what you would like to achieve, what the potential journey would look like. So typically, longer-term investment journeys aren't linear in, in fashion. They, they can be volatile at times, so prepare yourself mentally for that. Have short-term as well as longer-term expectations, which are, are reasonable. And then obviously all of this needs to be discussed with a wealth manager of sorts to ensure that it is realistic and you can have regular feedback and alignment to ensure that you are still on track and doing all the right things. The unfortunate reality is that if you're going to invest long term, you're going to be faced with many, many challenges. You know, one day it's a recession, the next is a salad about something else. Then it's political turmoil. Then it's an election somewhere. You know, there's always something happening and these are all opportunities that put people under pressure where they typically make mistakes. So it's really important to to have realistic expectations in terms of those things do occur, but at the same time, you can't be oblivious to the risks that come with investing. And that's why we think that partnering with someone that can take you on that journey and act as a soundboard and make sure that you don't make mistakes is even more important than trying to just do all the right things during your investment plan. And as for the biggest cycles, once you're in the right portfolio, I think you're in a much better position. And then rather leave the, the big macro calls to the guys that have their feet on the ground and their ears um, open to, to, to developments and know how to navigate them in the right way. Uh, we've spent quite a bit of the discussion talking about stagflation and deflation, but I think the point that you're raising now is probably very crucial and key to say that if someone is investing for the long term, then there's going to be all of these different cycles that they're probably going to have to weather. I think uh, in our previous discussion, we did speak about you know some of the resilience factors that it takes for investors to weather some of the downturns out there. You did mention just now that investors tend not to even like periods of underperformance, albeit short ones. So right now, since we're dealing with inflation and that's the issue that uh, the market is facing, how can people be protecting themselves in an inflationary environment like we have at the moment? Yeah, I think it's really important for a portfolio in spite of the discomfort that come with equity investing at the moment. It's really important to still retain some equity exposure in there given that we are in a high inflationary environment. And I think it's really uh, best to where you use a portfolio, ensure that the portfolio is skilled in navigating high inflationary environment, which fortunately South African managers have a lot of experience in that environment. I would be more concerned about some of the, the offshore managers who in many cases haven't seen high inflation. In South Africa, we see high inflation through every cycle and, and the guys are very good at, at managing through that period. So ensure that there's some, some evidence of skill in terms of how you navigate that, that environment or how they navigate that environment. And then I think it's a question of just looking at, at asset classes objectively. So in even if you think of our South African bonds, for example, north of 10-year bond is, is generating a, a return well ahead of inflation. So you can find securities outside of equities that's also generating inflation plus type returns. And we also even see cash rates going up. So it's not near inflation yet. 
but if inflation starts to recede and cash rates start to normalize, typically they do provide an inflation plus 2% type of return on a gross basis. So, you know, there's many attractive South African options out there for for our portfolio managers at the moment. So I think that bodes well for the prospects of our domestic managers in particular. Always great to sort of end off knowing that there are options for investors on the local front. Often we see flight of capital to offshore markets, but Adrian just mentioning the fact that in an inflationary environment, there are options that will give uh, some of that protection against what's going on in that inflationary environment. So for today, Adrian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Madhuya. Thank you to the listeners as well. So that brings us to the end of this uh, podcast discussion on stagflation or deflation in what part of the market cycle are we in that was sponsored by psg wealth i've been your host murio gavaza business writer with the business day and financial mail and remember that you can subscribe for free episodes on iono.fm spotify player.fm pocket or wherever you choose to get your podcasts